What's going on, everybody? Welcome and thank you for tuning in to the TKW podcast. We're switching things up today. It's producer Dom hosting the show. I'm here with my guy, Dean Joannu. And uh, Dean, how are you tonight? I'm doing well. I'm always doing well after a wire-to-wire Knicks blowout victory. No matter what's going on, big picture-wise, these always energize me. They always will. I heard uh, Trey Young had something written on his shoe tonight. What was it? King of Broadway? Yeah, something like that. I'm not sure exactly. Something like King of Broadway. Uh, but I think at the time that he checked out of the game for the last time, he was a minus 26. Or as Clyde Frazier calls it, he was a plus minus minus 26. Ooh. Which was a lot of the credit for that goes to Quentin Grimes and it goes to Deuce McBride. Um, we'll touch more on what it's meant to have them in their respective spots in the rotation later on. Yeah, totally. So you already mentioned him. So let's get straight to it. Quentin Grimes in 31 minutes put up 23 points. He put up 23 points and he was the beneficiary of the ball swinging around. I remember his first three came when Randall was holding the ball a little long for my liking. He had brought the ball up and the clock had gone down to around 14, 13, 12. But he drew a second defender. He found Grimes in the corner and Grimes just got that perfect looking jump shot. Um, Every Grimes make looks like a highlight. Every Grimes miss looks like it's going in at least when he first releases it. So Quentin Grimes really had it going. His attacking the rim, something he emphasized a ton in the offseason, has looked great. He's become very creative finishing at the rim. Could certainly get more consistent, but the way that he contorts, drew some fouls, he was very impressive tonight. And I think everything's starting to come together for him. Yeah. So so it looks to me like he's really taking advantage of the, you know, the minutes he's been he's been given so far in the past couple of weeks. Um How do you think it's impacted the starting lineup as a whole? I think that he is the perfect bridge between Jalen Brunson and RJ Barrett with the ways that they like to play. That doesn't mean that I think that lineup has been optimized because I think the way RJ Barrett's playing right now, he's really searching for his own rhythm and feel. And I think a little bit of that is coming at the expense of the continuity of the offense. But when RJ has everything figured out or even even on a down night, Jalen Brunson and R.J. Barrett both like to create for themselves. They like to drive the ball into the paint, and shooters need to be ready on the perimeter when that happens. Quentin Grimes, it seems, is always ready to shoot. He could stand to wait another half second on some of these attempts. It seems like as soon as he gets the ball, he's shuffling his feet behind the line and trying to get that up. But his catch-and-shoot prowess is very important for this starting lineup, for Randall, too, for Mitch as well. I mean, everyone in the starting lineup – Everyone in most lineups benefits from a three and D guy like Quentin Grimes, who's willing to shoot the ball. Yeah. And I mean, we saw it tonight. I think Brunson and RJ were a combined six for 27 from the field tonight. Yeah. Pretty abysmal. Uh, you know, RJ's on and off struggles have continued so far throughout the season. But yeah, it's looking like Quentin Grimes is really the guy who can unlock this team. Um, but like you said, it's not quite optimized yet. Like, what do you think still needs to happen at this this stage in the season? Well, I think a good amount of it is still on Tibbs, regardless of the personnel not being perfect. 
it's not a lot of movement. There's not a lot of movement in the offense, not a lot of movement off the ball when guys have the ball. It's a whole lot of your turn, my turn between Brunson, um, R.J. Barrett, and Julius Randle. Mitchell Robinson is not a floor spacing center. The Knicks don't ever really have a floor spacing center on the court since Hardenstein hasn't really been attempting them. So, yeah, Quinn Grimes is massively important at the shooting guard spot. I, and I'm not alone in this at all, I think that Emmanuel Quickly is really important to modernize the offense because without Tibbs making big-time changes to the way they actually run their offense, there needs to be more space for the guys who like to isolate. So we've already seen a nice adjustment from Tibbs, which is to sub out R.J. Barrett and Jalen Brunson midway through the first quarter, bring them back in with the second unit and kind of stagger them with Julius Randle so that, you know, the guys who like to play one-on-one aren't all clashing butting heads at the same time. But um, regardless, there needs to be, there just needs to be something more, a different element added to this offense. Jalen Brunson like was really a shot in the arm but people have to be moving around him. Otherwise you're just adding an ISO score into a crowded team. Yeah, no, totally. Totally. That's very true. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned him there. Julius Randall also had a really strong night tonight. Plus 29 on the Clyde Frazier plus and minus scale, <laughs> uh, 34 points, 17 rebounds and five assists. Tell me about it. How was he? So he got off to a great start in the first quarter. He had his first three threes. He finished the first quarter with 13 threes. Nothing really looked forced to me. He was moving the ball, you know, when necessary, and the game was coming to him. He was really beating up on the, you know, the Hawks defenders that were matched up with him. John Collins, who guarded him in that first round series where he really struggled a couple of years back, was not there. John Collins has been out with an injury. So I thought, you know, it's great that he had these 13 points in the first quarter. I mean, a minute of basketball is a minute of basketball. So I'm not going to ever say, oh, well, he's probably not going to stay at this pace and score 52 points. So what's the point? You know, you never want to think that way. But he had 21 points moving forward as the game went on. When he came back in the second quarter, not that it was all his doing, but the Knicks were bleeding a lot of points uh, with the second unit out there to start the second quarter. quarter. Randall came back in. I think that he steadied it a little bit, and he was awesome in the second half. So... Julius Randle definitely gets the game ball tonight. Julius Randle and Quentin Grimes. But it was an all-around defensive effort. Something that we should have mentioned earlier is that they let up 89 points tonight to the Hawks. I know DeJounte Murray went out early, but Trey Young was healthy. He was there, and he was you know, supposedly very ready for this matchup. And then on Sunday, they played the Cavs with Donovan Mitchell and with Darius Garland healthy, and they gave up 81. So 81 and 89 back-to-back games. It's not like Deuce McBride is guarding everyone on the court, but, you know, Deuce McBride in for Derrick Rose was a defensive change. So Tom Thibodeau saw my offense is doing a little better than expected. The defense is doing much worse than expected. I need to get back to what we hang our hat on here, and that's defense. So Quentin Grimes is starting now. It looks like that's his job. Deuce McBride is coming off the bench and playing the minutes Derrick Rose was playing. That's a big, that's a big improvement for the defense. Just one less weak spot to attack. And more than that, it's someone that we could put on Trey Young. Like, who would have been guarding Trey Young when Grimes wasn't on the court if not for Deuce tonight? You know, they really, they really like as a as a tandem, as a duo, guarding an opposing team star perimeter guy for however many minutes that guy's on the court, it makes a big difference. 
Yeah, I've been I've been saying it since since McBride got drafted that, you know, he's a guy that probably deserves at least 15 minutes a night just off of his defense alone. You know, it's very, very clear that he's a lockdown defender. Not a lot of guys in the NBA and nobody else on this Knicks roster can lock down a point guard in the way that he can. Uh, Emmanuel quickly is a good defender, but he is not Deuce McBride. You know, um, I'm really happy to see him getting minutes at this point in his career. You know, I, I think I just saw, I think two days ago or even yesterday, he was playing in the G League. Yeah. And, you know, why at this point, I'm thinking, why even split his time? You know, yeah, just just, point, just give him the minutes he deserves. I appreciate the move on their part to send him down to the G League for that game because there was two games off between Sunday's game and tonight's game. And he needs to get into more of a shooting rhythm. Not that we've really seen his G League shooting translate to his NBA shooting. Like, I don't know if going to Westchester for a night is going to change too much. But he came into this game against the Hawks, one for 16 from three on the season. And then he hit one. So the three actually took him from six and a half percent to around 11 and a half percent. But the minutes so far have been negligible. I mean, on the season, he had he was nine for 28 from the field coming into tonight's game. So we're going to see those numbers improve steadily. But offense isn't really what we're looking for from Deuce. We need him to do something when he's out there. We need him to be a threat. Absolutely. But it's been a defensive sub. And I have a lot of faith that we're going to see it continue to pay dividends on defense. And I don't think that he hurts the offense. He never really has. He's someone who moves the ball. You know, what hurts the offense is someone who's willing to shoot and can't shoot or someone who's completely unwilling to shoot and guys aren't guarding them. I think guys are guarding Deuce. I think he knows how to make the right plays. One of the better playmakers we have on the team, just by virtue of, you know, having played so much point guard in his young career. Yeah, that's exactly where I was going to go next. You know, his G League numbers, He's he has scored a lot in the G League in his past, but he's also assisted very, very well. You know, and you see him come in with six assists tonight in a 27-minute night. That's really solid productivity from how old is he? I don't even know. Uh, what, he's a second-year point guard who's playing most of his time in the G League. Like, that's very, very solid. And, you know, we're kind of getting to a point where he really can be a, a prime creator off the bench. Um, that's really all that I want to see right now. I don't expect him to become a scoring guard at any time soon. You know, if he's just defending and creating plays off the dribble, that's totally fine by me. Yeah, I of the belief that Emmanuel quickly should have the heaviest playmaking load off the bench. I think that he should be playing a lot more minutes than he is. Emmanuel quickly is still at around 22 minutes per game. And Deuce is stepping into Derek Rose's role pretty much the exact same role, coming in at the same time, subbing out at the same time, being asked to do completely different things that's from what Derrick Rose was doing. But his role is going to be 13, 14 minutes on most nights. Maybe there's a defensive matchup Tibbs you know, thinks is especially crucial that night, and he has Deuce out there to close the game, like we've seen him do with Quickly so often in the past, have him close the game even if he didn't play that many minutes going into the fourth. But I think having Deuce in there is a big help. Now, what's unfortunate is that it's coming in some part at the expense of Cam Reddish. Now, we learned earlier today that Cam Reddish and his representatives are working with the Knicks front office to find a trade to get him to a location where he would have more opportunity. Um, and so I think this is a good time to look back on you know, the 11-month Cam Reddish era, if it ends here today. It would be about 11 months. They traded for him, I think, on January 13th. So... The Knicks gave up 
a protected first round pick, not a huge deal, but they gave up a protected first round pick for Cam Reddish. And it was evident immediately that there was no direct plan to get him into the rotation. So they gave Tibbs another option with that move. Um, and at that time, Cam Reddish was in year three of his you know four-year rookie deal. They gave Tibbs the option to use Cam. He said, no, thank you. Uh, we had some injuries. Cam eventually found his way in there, but he played 15 total games at 14 minutes per game from January of last year through to the end of the season. And then coming back this year, once again, there was no role for him. We saw that once again in training camp that you know, that wasn't really in the cards. But then what happened? A few injuries happened. Cam Reddish finds himself all the way in the starting lineup playing really well. I don't think there's any Knicks fan that'll tell you that Cam Reddish didn't overperform their expectations for him. And he wasn't on the star track that some of his strongest believers think that he should be on or that he is on. But he, the game slowed down for him a bit. He was making way better decisions. The defense, I think, is pretty special, the way that he could be a disruptor there, get in passing lanes. And so if this is where it ends, if Camerish is used as a sweetener in a Fournier deal, or if he brings back a pick that's less than the pick that the Knicks gave out to get him, that's a, that's a mismanagement of an asset at the very least. Yeah, I agree. Before we get back into this, we are going to take a quick break. We'll get back to you on the other side. And we're back. Dean, tell me about what is the rumor right now in this uh, Cam Reddish news? Well, what we heard just before the news that Cam Reddish wants to actually be traded, that's something he's actively seeking out. We learned that the Knicks were willing to include Cam Reddish or Emmanuel quickly, one or the other, in a deal attached to Evan Fournier in order to offload the contract of Evan Fournier. And so that's what I want to talk about next is how do we find ourselves in this situation where potentially we're going to give up on a promising young prospect as either of those two guys are just to get rid of one more year of Evan Fournier after this one. So we go back to the 2021 offseason. Uh, the Knicks signed Evan Fournier for that four-year $72 million deal, or, or was it 74? But in the end, it was three years, $54 million guaranteed with a, a team option on that fourth year. We know that that team option won't be picked up because he's not even in the rotation. But there was no suitor for Evan Fournier that was going to come close to that price. And so there was a lot of people defending it at the time. There were people who were outright against signing Fournier at any number. No matter what end of the spectrum you ended up on there or where on the spectrum you ended up when it came to that contract, he's underperformed it. And the Boston Celtics had some interest in bringing him back, but there was no indication that they were going to come anywhere close to the price that the Knicks paid. The Knicks also gave Derrick Rose a contract with an annual value of something like $14 million a year, where I think that no other team would have gone higher than the mid-level exception that's around 10. So they overpaid for Evan Fournier, who ended up being a guy who starts games but doesn't finish, and Derrick Rose, someone whose minutes they've had to manage closely at this point of his career. And even though he's had great moments for the Knicks, uh, at least you know this year he hasn't really done too much. And then you have Cam Reddish, who they gave up a first-round pick for in the next season. So just there, we've touched on three players that 
are not in the Knicks rotation and seemingly they're all available for trade. I mean, you'd have to assume that Rose is available for trade. I'm sure that they're trying to move Fournier, but they don't really have any leverage there. And the other deals they gave out that offseason, you know, Nerlens Noel, Kemba Walker, Alec Burks. I miss Alec Burks. I'll always say that for the record. Me too. Uh, yeah, I was a big Burks fan, big shot Burks. But those guys, those guys got dumped. A bunch of second round picks went into it. They got dumped. The Knicks ended up not picking at 11. And so a lot of people's defense of Leon Rose and this current Knicks front office is that they haven't dug any deep hole. They still have all their draft picks. They've added a few more protected picks from other teams, some that might convey this year. We know that the Mavs pick will convey this year unless it's in the top 10. We have that Wizards pick that if they make the playoffs, they've been sliding recently, but if they make the playoffs, that pick will convey. So the Knicks don't find themselves in a bad situation, but when you have surplus, like the Knicks have worked to add surplus, you don't want to be using it to clean up your past mistakes. And that's what they'd be doing, attaching someone like Quickly, who with the very first draft under Leon Rose, they drafted Emmanuel Quickly at 25, and that's been such a success story for the organization, something to really hang their hat on, an immediate impact made by this front office. And the fact that they would consider, if these reports are true, that they would consider attaching him to Evan Fournier just to get off his contract a year earlier than they would have, I think that would be a pretty shameful way to operate. Yeah, and then, you know, even the idea of throwing Cam Reddish in with Evan Fournier, Cam Reddish is a guy who, you know, he probably doesn't have the star power that people may have thought or hoped that he would have coming out of the coming out of college. But he's clearly shown this year in the minutes he got while, you know, while Grimes was injured, that he is a legit NBA player. He's got some real creativity getting toward the getting into the lane and scoring. He he can really finish around the rim. And the Knicks honestly don't really have that many guys. You know, RJ is still a pretty poor, poor finisher around the rim at this point in his career, given the amount of opportunity that he's had. I've seen way too many RJ Barrett layups fall off the backboard. You know, like it's, it's, it's not really good. And a guy like Cam Reddish is somebody that can actually be useful in this Knicks lineup and should be useful. Um, but in, in this instance, what do you think the Knicks should do when you have a guy like Cam requesting a trade? It's hard to really give hypothetical responses to this because like we know who the front office is. We know that we're probably not going to see a shock, you know, turn of events where actually we're going to keep Cam Reddish and we're going to do this and this to ensure that we have all the data on him we need in order to maybe sign him to a contract extension. There's just, I don't know what I would do with Cam Reddish, but I know that there's a lot of people who are Cam Reddish fans and a frustration of theirs is that RJ Barrett gets a whole lot of shot attempts and a lot of minutes. And we've seen what that looks like. Um, this year, at least, R.J. Barrett trying to create for himself has come as a detriment to the offense. I I think you'd be hard-pressed to argue against that. It seems like he's constantly trying to get himself going. And Cam Reddish, like, what could Cam Reddish do with 20 shot attempts? I don't know. I don't know that I want to know. I, I think that <laughs> we found out what Cam Reddish is as a role player when he embraced that, and it was awesome. I love the way that looked. I can't believe he's not in the rotation now. But the Knicks are invested in certain guys at certain spots, and that makes the guys who are more on the margins, they're not going to have the greatest of opportunities to prove themselves. So R.J. Barrett was the third pick in the draft. This front office, this regime didn't draft him. I mean, I guess Scott Perry's still here. 
but he's going to get his minutes. We know he's going to get heavy minutes most nights. Then Julius Randle is never going to come out of that starting lineup. And once again, he was incredible tonight. He has had a good year offensively, one of his best like true shooting seasons so far. The defense has been an issue, but that's been other guys on the team as well. And so those are the two forward spots. Like that's, you know, 34 and 32 minutes at each forward spot is accounted for. The rest of the four minutes are accounted for by Obi. I, I could do another two hours straight on Obi and the lack of opportunity there and how he's been utilized by Tibbs. All the confusion there with you know him getting drafted and then the guy who seemed like he was on his way out of town ends up becoming an all-star. But like I don't disagree with Tibbs that a nine-man rotation is the best thing for the guys in the rotation to find a rhythm. But in a nine-man rotation, people who deserve to play are not going to play with the way that the Knicks are constructed. So it's a lot of pressure on Leon Rose and on the entire front office, whoever happens to be in charge of negotiating trades these days. Last we heard it was Gerson Rosas, uh, you know, former Wolves GM turned Knicks consultant turned. I'm not sure what his title is now, but they're going to have to get creative to try to just try to get something close to equal value for the assets we have that are not being utilized or underutilized, like in Emmanuel Quickly's case. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. It's going to be, we've got two months. We'll see what happens. You know, I don't, I don't really feel good about it, but I'm also not mad at the idea of offloading Evan Fournier. Uh, you know, if it was one of the two, going back to what you said earlier, I think I would trade Reddish over quickly especially considering Reddish is obviously kind of not part of Tibbs' plans. You know, he, he hasn't been aside from opportunity through injury of other players. So I think it would be fine. Um, but at the end of the day, if you offload Fournier, I'll take it, I guess. My I thing guess. is that I guess I'm a little bit out of sight, out of mind, but I haven't really been thinking about Fournier since he got benched. Me neither. And thankfully, I think about losing one of those young guys a whole lot more than I'm thinking about Fournier. Now, just for Fournier, just for like the sake of basketball, I don't want him to just sit on the Knicks bench. Agreed. While he has, you know, while he can still be a contributor to an NBA team, I think all Knicks fans have realized that Fournier is a pretty stand up guy. The way that he talks in uh, post game availabilities. He's always given really thoughtful answers and he seems, he just seems like a likable guy. Everything he does for team France is pretty heroic, but I think I would rather eat the money on a buyout with Fournier than to bother with this trade. Cause he's not going to, he doesn't have trade value. You don't get trade value from a guy who's not like 20 years old, who is getting zero minutes a night. So right now I think the Knicks, when we hear this report of Cam or Quickly getting attached to Fournier, I think it's because they don't want to give up on the protected picks that they have amassed. That's understanding. Like you mentioned some of them before, they also have a 2025 Milwaukee Bucks pick that they got. So they don't want to move that stuff. They might be reticent to pay Emmanuel Quickly when it's extension time for him. We know they didn't even really negotiate too much with Cam Reddish on an extension. Um, the next opportunity to get him on a longer deal would be this summer. So. I don't know what the perfect pivot is from this point, but Derrick Rose is not playing. Evan Fournier is not playing. I don't know what the Knicks want to spend the money on that they would purportedly save from a Fournier deal. Right. The, the way that the most 
feasible thing they could do is to trade two guys for one rotation player or three guys for one rotation player and clear the logjam that way, bring in a little bit of new life to the rotation. But as it stands now, you could trade Derek Rose, Cam Reddish, Evan Fournier, three players for one rotation player, and you'd have one more rotation player than they had before. Those guys are all not playing. Very true. So Trent, like that's that's a lot of the frustration right now with watching the Knicks, with rooting for the Knicks and reading about them every day and talking about them is that we don't really know what they're doing right now. We definitely don't know what they're doing in the future. We're not positive from the point that they're at where they should be going. A lot of people advocate for tanking, but I think tanking would be difficult. They're just not bad enough. And to get bad enough, you have to be pretty shameless. Like in this league, with how crafty some of these GMs are and what some of these NBA teams have done already, it takes work to get down there. Like the Jazz tried. The Jazz did hard work to tank, and they found themselves with pretty talented players, a new head coach that wanted to prove himself. And what do you have? They jumped out to first in the West. Now they've been sliding since then, but nothing is guaranteed. So I'm not sure exactly where to go. And yeah, I do a lot of complaining. We all do. But at this point, I'm just so curious what the front office does here. Because if it's another, let's say one move gets made. Like, let's say, and I could see this happening. Let's say Cam Reddish gets traded for a conditional second round draft pick. And that's all there is. We finish out the rest of the year, changing the rotation once a month. This guy gets a chance for a little. Now this guy's out of the rotation. Oh, one day maybe Jericho Sims will be in there over Hartenstein. At that point, we're going to be working with how many years of Leon Rose's front office not wanting to take any chances. So I do have this feeling in my gut that we'll see them try to force something big. And I'm excited for that. I really am. I'm excited for a big, like maybe even a risky move from this front office. I was scrolling through Slack earlier. And I saw some mentions within our group about Zach Levine. And I'm curious what your thoughts are there. My thoughts there are that Zach Levine is really, really good. But I used to enjoy watching him a bit more before his most recent bout of injuries, where there were a lot more dunks. There was less of a reliance on the jump shot. He had a huge night the other night. I think he had 41, something like that. And he could play. He's amazing. He's an amazing player. So I would be all for trying to get Zach Levine because you have to do this. You have to do these things one step at a time. But to add Zach Levine to like play with Julius Randle and Mitchell Robinson and most of the same cast of characters we've had, I think it's a little bit like signing Brunson. It doesn't change the way that this team is going to play. And and also, like, if, if they trade for a star, someone like Zach Levine, and Tibbs is still the coach, it resets the clock for Tibbs. It's like, okay, Tibbs, you have this long to make this work because it's a completely new proposition for you. And also, Tibbs has history with Zach Levine. I think Zach Levine is actually a fan of Tibbs. I know that from the research I did when the Knicks first brought Tibbs in. I think Zach Levine said he calls him Mr. Tibbs, and he appreciates that he's all business, something like that. Um, I could be thinking of the wrong player entirely, so apologies if I'm wrong. <laughs> I but don't remember I would, that one. I would like to have a Zach Levine Knicks jersey. I would like to watch him play for the Knicks. So I don't know what we have that the Bulls would want. 
this would be this would be contingent on the Bulls blowing it up. Because if the Bulls are trying to stay as good as possible, there's not a trade with the Knicks that's going to help them get there. Um, I feel pretty confident in that. And so I did see that, some of that in Slack, people talking about Zach Levine being a good complement to R.J. Barrett. Um, I'm not here to send out hot takes. That's not really what I like to do. But I wouldn't be pursuing other players thinking about how they fit with R.J. Barrett. I'm more of the mind that... RJ Barrett needs to show something where the Knicks need to look to move in another direction. Cause we've never seen RJ Barrett, even going back to when he was at Duke, we've never seen him adjust to who the players are around him and shoot the ball less and focus on other things. And going into this season, RJ, we could always at least say he's a good defender. He's an above average defender. He works so hard there. But RJ this season, I think is the worst defender in the Knicks lineup just the whole lineup of everyone they play. Um, he appears to me to be the biggest liability. He's not moving well laterally. We saw him add muscle in the off season. And I think that's affecting him negatively on both ends of the court, but it's really pronounced on defense. His lateral quickness just isn't there. So in my vision of the Knicks future, RJ Barrett doesn't factor into it a ton for me, but he is an important part of the Knicks future. I'm just saying, hypothetically, I've gone off topic here. If we brought in Zach Levine, my concern would be with how good the Knicks are and not so much how he'd fit next to RJ. Yeah. Um, switching the topics real quick. Uh, Ace just dropped in Slack a little bit on Cam Reddish on no longer being in the rotation. Quote, I guess that's just how it goes. I got no control over that. I just come to work every day, just like y'all. Do my job. And hey, man, it's just the result. Also said he's not sure why he was pulled and that he didn't request a trade. Yeah. Oh, that he didn't request a trade. This is the second time that he himself has denied trade rumors involving himself. Ah, I love this. Love the drama. Love the drama. And this is not the first time we've seen a player talk about not having communication with Tibbs with regard to their role on the team. This is now Kemba Walker, Derek Rose, Cam Reddish, Somehow we never really see OB or quickly complain. That doesn't seem to be in their nature. But there's always there's always a lot of confusion with Tibbs teams, and this is something that we knew would happen when the Knicks brought Tibbs in. I think we were all hopeful in that first year he did great. But this is not like a player's coach. This is not someone who's going to communicate well with their fans. Uh, with their fans, I'm sorry. With their players. Another guy who's known for that, ironically, is Nate McMillan. And now Nate McMillan is is clashing with Trey Young. So I just think there simply has to be better options out there for the Knicks that's going to make all of this make more sense. Like, the Knicks roster is one of the youngest in the league. With the right coach at the helm, I don't think it would be a confusing mess. I really don't. I think that this could be figured out and just a more equitable situation for everyone involved. Yeah, I do agree. Um, before we close this thing out, I wanted to know what's going on with Obi Toppin right now. So Obi Toppin was playing as well as could possibly be asked for in a 15-minute per game role as a backup for the first however long of this season. So let's say if he's played like 22 games so far for the first 10, 12 of them, he was phenomenal. And he still, to this day, to right now, has the highest three-point percentage 
of anyone who's in the regular rotation. A lot of that is from the scalding, the you know scalding hot start that he had to start the year. Obi Toppin does not get used the way that he was supposed to be used when he was drafted ever. Just never. He's in the corner. No matter who he shares the court with or what year it is, he's the guy in the corner. He's the floor spacer. And Tibbs touched on this recently saying, oh, we're trying to grow that in Obi's game. We're trying to make him more of a true stretch four. This guy won the dunk contest. The year before that, he got robbed in the dunk contest. He was the college player of the year playing a certain way. He needs to be the role man in pick and roll, just like Mitchell Robinson before Obi Toppin was even drafted, and then still today. Doesn't get used enough as the role man in pick and roll. Jalen Brunson is a crafty ball handler in the pick and roll, and he's a good passer. This is low-hanging fruit for the Knicks. Obi is capable of dunking anytime his defender is not 99% alert on him. Obi can make something out of nothing with that. So... Last year, we would see this a lot. Taj Gibson was shooting like 105% on corner threes. When he was on the court with Obi Toppin, Obi Toppin was the floor spacer and Taj was rolling to the rim. And I miss Taj too. I already said I miss Alec Burks. I miss Taj too. But now my complaint is that when Hartenstein's out there, Hartenstein's the one rolling. I don't have as much faith in Hartenstein's offense. He might not be as good of a shooter as Obi to stick him in the corner, but just figure it out at a certain point. People are saying, well, Obi needs to go to the basket more if his three isn't falling. Go to the basket. He's a 6'10 big man. He's catching the ball outside of the three-point line, and you want him to create something for himself to go to the basket. He can do that. We've seen him do it. But Obi's miscast. I don't know how he always seems so happy. When he was mic'd up, he was on the bench cheering for Julius. Hey, way to go, 30. Calling him all kinds of nicknames, and he looked ecstatic. <laughs> I don't know how he's so happy, but I'm not happy. I'm not happy watching him play this little and be misused in this way. Yeah, yeah, he is a happy guy, though. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah, well, unfortunately, Obi did have to leave the game early tonight with some right knee soreness. Have you seen anything yet? Is there are there any updates? Is he going to be okay? I have not seen an update aside from the one where he would miss the rest of the game, but. Here's me hoping and praying that he'll be back next game. I tweeted out the, you know, the, the meme, the, what's it called? The meme video of LeBron, like, picking up his stuff and leaving. Like, all right, it's not like there's nothing left to see here. As soon as Nick's PR put out that Obi wouldn't be coming back in the game. And I stand by it. Um, I'm a lot <laughs> less interested in this team without Obi. But I know that I'll be watching all 82 this year like any year. <laughs> Yeah, man. All right. This has been a solid podcast. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Uh, Dean, t- tell the people where they can find you. You can find me on Twitter at Dean Joannu, D-E-A-N-J-O-A-N-N-O-U. But you can also find me on the Knicks wall on, on, of our, on all of our socials. If you're not already following us somehow, but you're listening to this, give us a follow. And until next time. Yeah. Uh, wait, one last thing. Producer Dom here. I'm not going to plug myself because i don't do that but we do have some exciting stuff coming out on the next wall we do have some some merch on the way that i think everybody should be looking forward to i'm looking forward to it uh yeah i guess that's about it for tonight thanks everybody for tuning in talk to you soon